Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 205 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. First official day of fall, right? This is a fun time of the year for your boy. As you probably know by now, your boy is a is a huge fan of fall. And, you know, we've got the pumpkin pie candle right within my reach here. As I record from the lovely studios that SB Nation has set me up in. We've got the the recipes ready to go. Going to make probably some brisket chili at some point. You know, just a huge fan of fall. But it is the first day of fall and it is week three now. It's amazing how the NFL season just, once it hits, it is just a runaway freight train, right? You get games, you talk about the games, you start talking about the next games. Before you know it, it's going to be like week 10. Season just flies by. Big show today, though. We're going to talk Saints. We're going to talk Patriots. Second half of the show, John Sigler, who manages Saints Wire over at USA Today Sports Media Group. He's going to join me. We're going to talk about the difference in week one versus week two for the Saints. I didn't make fun of John for the uh, Superdome catching on fire, but John is one of my favorite people. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, We're also going to talk in the first half of the show, my expectations for Sunday, what I'm going to be watching for and things like that. Before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along on the Burn app at Mark Schofield. You get my three throws with Sco series, which is getting considerable critical acclaim. For example, listen to this glowing review. I hate Mark Schofield with a deep burning passion. So it means a lot that I think his three throws series is great. That's from the one and only Arif Hassan. Arif and I then paused our eternal blood feud for about eight minutes before returning to some of the more vicious death threats you can possibly imagine. But seriously, you can check it out on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Also, the work USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I got a piece up today. I'm playing the odds. My my betting streak this season against the spread. I am like 9-18 and 18 on the year right now. So check that out. See what I recommend and bet against me. That's my recommendation. Also got a piece up on Touchdown Wire today about Kyler Murray. Check out the YouTube channel uh, where you get longer form breakdowns. I'm probably going to be doing some draft quarterback stuff uh, later this week. Maybe some Spencer Petras, maybe some Matt Corral. All sorts of fun stuff over there. Um, you know the places to find me. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to talk Saints-Pats now. But of course, a major topic of conversation remains Mac Jones and his willingness or lack thereof to attack downfield. And re-watching the coaches tape all 22 for a second time, I understand why there remain concerns about the lack of willingness to attack downfield because the more you dive in and the more you really start looking at, okay, Let's look at these plays yet again. The more you see some of these missed opportunities that people are talking about. One of the bigger plays of that game, right? The double pass, White back to Mac, Jono Smith on the crosser. Nelson Aguilar is open with about five yards of separation at the 15-yard line for what could have been a touchdown. And it's hard to sit here and just say, you know, Mac Jones, you had a 19-yard gain, but you screwed up. 
he's got a wide open crosser, an easy throw with eight yards of separation. You take it. And I understand why he did. But plays like that are adding to this idea of is he being too conservative? Is he afraid to push the ball downfield? You know, Josh McDaniels was asked a ton about that uh, when he went with the media on Tuesday and he talked about how he has full trust in Mac and they're not, you know, ignoring plays in the playbook and things like that. This is something to monitor. As I said in Monday's show, it's not a situation where I'm going to sort of throw up my hands and say he's not willing to attack downfield because I highlighted some moments where you do see a willingness to attack downfield. I think part of this was, in a sense, game plan specific. Maybe similar to week one, right? Week one, you're going up against... You know, week one, you're going up against that Miami secondary. They've got good corners. Week two, you're going up against a Jets defense that maybe is a bit thin at linebacker. And so the thinking is, look, we're going to work running backs. We're going to work, you know, tight ends against these linebackers. These are the matchups that we want to sort of take advantage of. Maybe the quarterback then, by extension of that game plan, really focuses his eyes and his mind on those areas of the field. It's just two weeks. These are just data points. And with the mind that this season, in part, not in whole, but in part, is about his development, you take these two games, you see what he did and did not do, and then you see going forward how he approaches it. So just data points, just some things to watch. We'll be tracking this for sure. Now let's turn our attention to the Saints because this is a team that looked fantastic. World beaters. Five touchdown passes from Jameis Winston in week one. Week two, they get run over by the Carolina Panthers. And as John's going to talk about here in a few minutes, there are a lot of reasons why that sort of came to be, right? You had staff members, vaccinated staff members out because of COVID. You had some injuries up front. You had to slide Cesar Ruiz to center. Get a backup right guard in there now. And I think this is, and and I talked about this with John here, this might be one of those moments where you see a game and the initial reaction is perhaps, oh man, these, these Saints, they're not as good as we thought. This game might be more about Carolina. That game we saw last week. It might be more about Carolina and in particular, I think, Phil Snow than anything the Saints did or did not or could or could not do. And... I'll give you a concrete example of that in a second, but there's a reason Phil Snow and this Panthers defense are getting a lot of attention right now. It's because, you know, dating back to last year in that Saturday night game where the Packers beat the Panthers, after that game, Aaron Rodgers talked a lot about how Phil Snow's defense was confusing. It was doing some things he hadn't seen and wasn't expecting. That's continued into this year, and now the Panthers have some athletes up front. You know, you look at some of the players that they've got up front, you know, whether it's Brown at the defensive tackle spot, whether it's Brian Burns, obviously Jeremy Chin, you know, Gross Matos is doing some things for them. They have athletes. They can get after you. They can pressure you. They can force you into mistakes. And one of the things that a lot of people have talked about, Cody Alexander broke this down, you know, at the underscore coach underscore A. Cody's a brilliant defensive mind. At the end of the first half, Carolina brought the same exact overload kind of blitz 
on three straight plays. And they couldn't figure it out. They went for an incompletion, an incompletion, an interception. And it's basically an overload blitz where you mug A-gaps. You've got Chin in one A-gap. You've got Shaq Thompson in the other A-gap. Thompson drops. Chin attacks through the A-gap, through the right shoulder of the center, attacking that center right guard situation. And then you've got Brown off the edge. You've got Burns off the edge, all on the right side. And then they bring down the safety into the box, Chandler, and he comes. And they're all attacking from that right A-gap on the right side. Three plays in a row. You get a pair of incompletions. And then you get an interception where Jameis makes a bad decision, forces a throw under pressure, frustrated, yada, yada, yada. You get the Jameis mistake. Three straight plays. Couldn't block it up. And you get the interception. And the interception, it's in large part, it's chin through the A-gap untouched. And this is the third time they've run this blitz in a row. Ruiz turns left. They kind of slide the protection. It's a half slide. So center, left guard, left tackle. They slide to the left. Right guard, right tackle. They slide to the right. Ruiz, I think, is expecting Thompson to finally come because maybe since he's dropped off the line twice, he's finally going to come. No, he drops to the third time. He's turned to him. And then with the right guard and right tackle sliding out, chin's unblocked. Alvin Kamara, he sees Chandler, the safety blitzing off the edge, so he fans out to him. Chin's unblocked, has a free shot at Winston. Winston sort of scrambles away, gets away from him. Gross Matos gets pressure on him. Winston makes the fallen down throw, interception. So what does that mean for New England? Well, in last week's show, when I talked about all these overload blitzes, these overload looks from the Patriots' defense, I'd expect to see a lot of those against Zach Wilson. Maybe we didn't see a lot of those. Maybe I was wrong on that one. Or maybe I was just a week ahead of schedule. Because you see those three plays. And it's that overload look that I was talking about, right? Where you've got... Hightower, Van Noy, Judon, all walk down. You mug the look. Confuse that right side of the line. That's what Phil Snow did on those plays. That's what I'd expect them to do on Sunday against the Saints. With respect to Winston, he's great when that first read is open. You got to confuse him or pressure him and get him to come off that first read one way or another. If you can do that, you might get some Winston like moments, like this interception before halftime. When the Patriots have the ball, it's easy to say, look, you know, Christian McCaffrey, option routes, weak side option. You saw a lot of that on Sunday against the Saints where you've got the three-by-one formation, but you've got the X, and you've got Christian McCaffrey in the sidecar offset to the single receiver side. You just run that weak side option, aiming at that linebacker. If he plays you inside leverage, you break out. If he plays outside, you run the Texas route and the angle route and come inside. They hit on it early. I'd expect to see some of that with James White to try to get that favorable matchup. I think you're going to see some play-action stuff looking to attack single high. Saints played some single high coverages in that game, cover one, cover three. There were some opportunities that Darnold took advantage of 
on that post over concept, variations of post over. They had one where Robbie Anderson ran sort of a curl instead of that over route. Darnold off of play action had an opportunity there as well where he hit for a big gain. I think you're going to see some flood concepts. They had a nice play where three receivers set to the left, two outside guys go vertical, third guy Zilstra, he runs a deep out, and you hit on that. Maybe it was, I think it was Zilstra. It might have been more. Now I'm sort of rethinking that as I pull that up here. There are opportunities for Mac Jones to hit downfield. It it was DJ Moore. So you had Terrace Marshall on the outside, and then you have Anderson in the middle. Then it was DJ Moore, the inside receiver on the trips. The two outside guys go vertical. It's against a cover four look, actually, but it would also work against cover three, that kind of flood design where you're pulling that corner deep. You're occupying the safety with the inside guy because he sort of bent to the inside. And then you get the deep out route, that sort of exit-enter concept, I like to call it. There are opportunities to hit on passing plays deep against this team and some of these concepts that the Panthers used against the Saints. The question, again, cycles back to what we just started with, right? Mac Jones, will he hit on those throws? Hopefully. Because I think a lot of people are tired of talking about it. That's just me. And speaking of just me, that's enough for me, right? You want to hear from John. I think New England wins this game. If you're wondering, I do think New England wins this game. I picked them in my playing the odds piece over at USA Today. So do with that information what you will, right? You're talking about a guy that's 9-18 and 18 against the spread so far this year. Not great, kids. Um, but that's enough of me. You'll hear from John next. That's ahead here in episode 205 of The Sco Show. And welcome back to The Sco Show. Mark Schofield here in the big chair for today, Wednesday and it's time to have our first guest of the regular season. We kind of got the season off to a start. Now it's time to get some guests in. And so you know, give the gentle listeners a chance to hear from somebody other than me. I'm excited. I'm honored for today's guest. He does such fantastic work running the Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. He's one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I'm going to point out why here in just a second. And also, I hope to get to catch up with him in person like we do you know, in the before times with the senior bowl and all that stuff, we could hand out in the stands. Maybe we'll get a chance to do that this winter. He is John Sigler. You can follow him on Twitter at J O H N underscore S I G L E R R. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Mark. Man, it, you know, I'm honored to hear I'm the, I'm the first guest of the 2021 season. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So, Miss you too, bud. I ho- hopefully, we can get back to the Senior Bowl, get here in Mobile, and here in a few months, get some barbecue. And uh, for for now, we we got just t- tons to cover. We got two interesting teams here, fascinating matchup on Sunday, and I, I think it's going to be a great show. Yeah, and I am looking forward to getting back down to Mobile, catching up with you. It's always fun to hang out in the stands, cracking the jokes. It's always a good time. I mentioned before we dive into this that you're one of my favorite followers on Twitter for a number of reasons, <laughs> but one of them, your bit is one of my favorite things every single day. Because if you don't follow John, first, you need to fix that. And second, you'll see why. Because pretty much every morning, John will get up and he'll tweet something along the lines of, all right, friends, let's push this boulder. And then like five hours later, John will reply to it with, guys, bad news about the boulder. And every time John does this, I literally cry, John. It's one of my favorite things on Twitter. (laughs) I'm glad you appreciate it, man. You're uh... You, you, you appreciate the man, the trial of a uh, King Sisyphus of the, the ancient Greek king. Uh, that, that, that was his punishment in the afterlife. He's got he's got to push his thing boulder up the hill all day, every day. Um, and, and, and it's very relatable. You know, we got to 
you know, it's, it's kind of taken the, the rising grind bit to the next level a, a little, uh, adding some uh, some mystique, some mysticism to it. And I, I appreciate it. Gets a smile yeah, on I my mean, face, nose to the grindstone. Yeah, and, and Twitter is Sisyphean in a sense, I think. It's, <laughs> it's, so that's why it's it's so perfect. But as, as much, John, as I'd love to talk about this bit, because I think it's fantastic, we do have to talk about this game. Uh, yeah. Let's start here. What was the difference in your mind between the New Orleans Saints team we saw in week one and the Saints team we saw in week two? Oh, man, it was just personnel. Uh, the Saints, they were missing a third of the coaching staff was unavailable uh, with COVID-19 protocols. So they're all fully vaccinated. De- Delta has just ripped through, through the staff. Uh, the offensive line coach was out the entire week. He was finally cleared to join them on game day. Um, so he was not around to help them work in a new center. Uh, with, with Cesar Ruiz, who was taking over for Eric McCoy, he, he's been out with a calf injury. Um, and it was just a disaster there. there. That pivot point was a weakness on offense. Jameis Winston was pressured all day. Uh, the Saints, they, they struggled to, to adapt to what the Panthers defense was showing them, which is a good defense. Coached by Phil Snow, they've, got a lot of, they've invested a lot of high draft picks there along the defense, defensive line. Um, it was just really rough all, all around. Uh, mostly because they just didn't have any answers to that Panthers pass rush. Uh, depending on what what um, tracking service you use, uh, Jameis Winston was pressured on between 48 and 64% of his dropbacks against Carolina. Um, it, it's the, the worst he's ever seen in the NFL. Honestly, I'm shocked that he, he only threw two interceptions in this game, considering what he was up against. And on defense, uh, the Saints were down four of their top you know, six or seven defenders. Uh, linebacker Quan Alexander, defensive end Marcus Davenport, both went on IR. Uh, two of their top three uh, defensive backs, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, the top number one corner, uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson, their slot uh, corner. They were both down for this game. They're hoping to be back this week. Um, but just the personnel was totally different. I mean, that that is that, that that's five different starters uh, being replaced in the space of a week. And we saw how many problems that created for the Saints on Sunday. So they, they were just, they were unprepared without all those assistant coaches. They, they, they had a rookie quarterback, Ian Book, um, signaling the substitution from the sideline in this game. Uh, there was just so much turnover, and they really were a different team. So they're getting a lot of guys back this week, uh, and we're hopeful that we're going to see a team that looks more like what we saw in week one with, with uh, the Packers than in week two with the, with the Panthers. And, and a big part, John, of that week one win was obviously the play of Jameis Winston. He throws five touchdown passes in the one against the Packers. Now, do you sort of attribute the struggles from Winston in week two to everything you talked about, the people that were out, the new faces, changes on the offensive line? Do you think that what the Jameis Winston will see this week will look a lot more like the week one Jameis? Or are you worried that we might see more of week two Jameis this week against New England? I'm worried that we're going to see more low moments from him uh, just because we things haven't changed. You know, we're still waiting for the injury report uh, to come out to clarify that situation. We're still waiting for these coaches to be cleared of COVID protocols to return to the team. You know, until those things change, uh, Jameis is going to be working, you know, kind of at, at, in the center of a hurricane here with, with so much uh, change and turmoil going on around him. He's not going to be able to get through his process, get through his reads um, and make good decisions on, on the field. So. I kind of do give him a mulligan for every, everything that went against him on Sunday. Um, but until those things change, you know, you, you've got to question, hey, is, is this guy's decision-making really improved like we thought it had? Um, so, you know, I, I want to be optimistic and say that 
oh, well, he'll, he'll just bounce back. Everything will, everything will level out and we'll, we'll meet in the middle. Uh, but he's going up against Bill Belichick, whose entire thing is, is taking away uh, what teams do well and seeing how they bounce back from it. And I'm just, based on what we've seen so far, I'm not confident that uh, Jameis is going to, you know, just rapidly improve in the space of one week. John, I feel like sometimes when a team has a game like New Orleans had against the Carolina Panthers, there's like a wild overreaction to what's wrong with us. And we sometimes sort of ignore that, hey, the guys on the other side are getting paid to do this as well. Now, maybe that's a bit different this week because I do feel like reading around the timeline, people are very excited about Phil Snow's defense. What, if anything, did you see from Phil Snow in this Carolina Panthers defense? Do you think Bill Belichick might try to replicate this Sunday? Man, they sent so many blitzes directly at Cesar Ruiz there at center and his backup at right guard and Calvin Throckmorton, which Throckmorton, fantastic name for an offensive lineman. Right. Uh, the, dude, the dude just did not have a great game. And the Panthers attacked him over and over and over again. They were loading up the A-gaps. Uh, sending sending linebackers, sending safeties, just getting really creative with their blitzes and going right at him over and over again. They, they knew where the weak spot was, and they, they just attacked it relentlessly. And I think that, that Bill Belichick is going to be able to do that as well. Um, what really concerns me more than that, though, is – so Phil Snow I did correctly identified that Alvin Kamara is the only real weapon the Saints have on offense right now. And – if he, you can commit the resources to taking him away, the Saints do not have enough other complementary weapons to spread the ball around and compensate for that. They don't have a Michael Thomas who can go out and catch you know 20 passes for 200 yards or anything like this. They, they've got a mediocre receiving core, and the, the Panthers were able to beat them one-on-one consistently all throughout the game. And I know that uh, the Patriots are, are down uh, Stephon Gilmore, they do have J.C. Jackson, who I, I heard had a couple of big interceptions a week ago. So he's going to be able to make some plays against uh, the Saints as well, I think. Um, until these these receivers can step up, I'm just not convinced that the Saints are going to be able to move the ball well, that they're going to even keep the Patriots on their, heel, on their heels on offense. So it's, it's not looking like a great offense-defense matchup with the Saints here. Let's sort of flip things a bit. I want to talk now about the Saints defense, which last year was a very impressive unit. Now, obviously, you have the loss last week. Is there any concern on the defensive side of the ball for Saints fans? Now, you're going up against a rookie quarterback. There are a lot of questions in New England. Matt Jones, will he throw the ball downfield? When you look at this matchup, Saints defense, Patriots offense, what stands out to you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm more optimistic about the Saints defense because the things that can be fixed there are much more apparent. Uh, it starts with just with just getting those top defensive backs back. Uh, Gardner Johnson has said he expects to play this week. Uh, Lattimore is has been week to week after thumb uh, surgery uh, last Tuesday, so hopefully we'll get him back. Um, he he was a game time decision on Sunday. I, I would think he's improved. That's something we'll be monitoring on the injury report. Just getting those two back adds so much. They're two very intelligent players, uh, two very experienced players that they've been starting together for a couple of years now along with Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams. The, the communication between those five is really seamless. Um, and we saw that against the Packers with just how well they handled the uh, route combinations that, that they were that were thrown at them, how well they handled that, that very good receiving group. Um, and they took advantage of some poor decisions from Aaron Rodgers. So Mac Jones has done a good job protecting the ball so far, from what I understand. Um, I think his best receiving weapon may be Jonu Smith, even though he hasn't gotten a lot of looks so far. Uh, but he's someone who I think they, they could try against the Saints, especially if 
these injuries persist, if these communication issues persist. Um, what was really encouraging for me that so far this season is the Saints were one of the worst red zone defenses last year. Uh, they gave up. They, I, I won't say they were the they were the worst. <laughs> I mean, they were they were allowing points scored at like an eighty percent clip or something something ridiculous like that. They've really cleaned it up this year. They only allowed, I, I think, two touchdowns um, in like six or seven uh, red zone uh, trips over these two weeks. Um, they, they've made a lot of progress in that area. If they can continue to buckle down in scoring position, if they can improve across the board by you know getting their starters back, I, I think they could have a lot of a, a lot of success against Mac Jones um, and force them into some really difficult third down situations. Somebody that might play a huge role in having that success against Mac Jones and forcing him into some difficult situations. Rookie Peyton Turner, who made his debut against Carolina on Sunday. You had a great piece over at Saints Wire. Go read it about his debut and how it was worth the wait. What from Turner was impressive to you? Just the energy that he played with. It was palpable. I mean, you could. it was really interesting because you could see early in the game he was moving with a little hesitation. He was kind of feeling his way around like, uh, what 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 can I get away with here? What 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 are what are these uh, Panthers blockers throwing at me? And then you saw him flip the switch. He he got it. He seized in it, and he just really took over. Um, the Saints had seven tackles for loss on the day. Uh, Turner accounted for three of them. They had something like like fifteen uh, pressures, and he accounted for for four of them. I mean I mean he was just he was by far their best defender in the game. Uh, their their best uh, defensive lineman. He was the only guy really getting consistent pressure, and he really turned up the heat and improved as the game wore on. Um, he, he's, he, gosh, he, he's big. I mean, he, he's a legit six seven. He's a very long defender. Uh, but unlike Marcus Davenport, he came out of college already knowing how to play from a three point stance. So he's firing out of that stance now. He's using the athleticism that Davenport has taken like three or four years to harness, and he's really giving these blockers some trouble. Um, I remember back in training camp, no one benefited more from the pads coming on than Peyton Turner. His, he plays with great physicality. Um, he's already got some pass, some pass rush moves. He, he's kind of technical in his approach. Um, and I think he's going to be an asset for the Saints here, here on Sunday. So I, I'm, I'm really excited by him so far. Uh, and considering all the flack the Saints caught for, for drafting him where, where they did is, is, is considered kind of a reach. Uh, he, he is you know, it's only one game. We don't want to overreact to that. But he had a better week, too, than almost anyone else in, tra- in the draft class. So I think he's someone they can lean on. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to temper my expectations because the unit around him is not what it's supposed to be. Uh, and we're not going to see that until midseason, probably, whenever, you know, uh, the very underrated defensive tackle, David Onyemata, returns from suspension. Um, after, after six games, he's out this week. Marcus Davenport is on IR. He's out for a few weeks. Uh, another player to watch is Tano Passignon, who was out this past game with, with an injury. He did not go to IR, so he could potentially return, and that would add a lot of juice to the, to the front four. So, you know, Peyton Turner had a very, very impressive rookie debut, and I'm really excited to see what he does once the unit around him begins to improve and get some players back. John, let me get out of here on this one. Not so much asking for a lock prediction or anything like like that, but let me put it to you this way. The New Orleans Saints win this game Sunday if what happens? Yeah, they win this game if they can find ways to get points against a very, very stingy Patriots defense. If they can move the ball well, if their receivers can step up, uh, if Jameis, if they if they keep Jameis Winston clean, I think it'll work out. But their their whole philosophy has been we're going to build the offense around our offensive line. We're going to keep Winston clean. 
And we're going to trust our system, our years of success in getting no-name receivers open uh, schematically, and we're going to score points that way. And if they can keep Winston upright, keep him clean, I think they can find, find ways to win, even against a defensive play caller as intelligent as Belichick with a, a team that is as experienced as it is. Um, it's going to be challenging. Uh, they've got Dante Hightower back this year, and he is one of the smartest uh, linebackers in the game. So he's going to match up really well with Alvin Kamara, uh, potentially take him out of the game for stretches. How, how the Saints respond to that is going to be interesting. Um, but if that's what they can do, if they can keep Winston clean and let him have time to make good decisions from, from the pocket, I, I think they can move the ball. They can get enough points to win, especially if the defense can pressure Mac Jones and really limit his opportunities to make plays downfield. John, tremendous stuff, buddy. We'll be looking forward to this game, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for thinking of me. It was a fantastic uh, guest spot here. Hopefully we can do it again in, the, in a few months on the Super Bowl. That would be fantastic. Folks, stop what you're doing. <laughs> stop what you're doing, friends. Go follow John. Yes, you'll get the great bit about the boulder, but you also get incredible analysis. He does such great work, covered the Saints for Saints Wire, one of my favorite people in this industry. Folks, that will do it for today's show. I will be back Monday. Um, after this game, um, after a chance, maybe it's a glorious victory installment. Maybe it's a melancholy in the infinite sadness installment that will be determined by a lot of what John talked about here on this tremendous guest spot, but that will do it for today. I will be back Monday until then friends, stay safe, checking on your neighbors, checking on your friends, wash those hands. And when you do sin along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.